Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody, episode 230 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aerotorious Sports Podcast. Great show for you today. It is March 5th, 2020. I almost said 2019, but it's 2020. And did AT do it again or did AT do it again? We are a week before Selection Sunday. And how many guys are delivering you top five coaches, coaches of top five ranked teams on a silver platter? AT did it because that's what AT does. And I will have later in the show, Scott Drew, the Baylor Bears head coach, joins me. Really fun interview. I actually just got off the phone with him. We talk about this team, this dream season, the fact that they were ranked number one in the country for an incredible stretch. He actually dropped an incredible nugget I think a lot of you will appreciate. Baylor had the longest stretch of being ranked number one in the country of any team since that incredible 2014-2015 Kentucky Wildcats. And we talk about this season. We talk about some of the guys in his program, the unique paths that they took to college basketball. A really, really, really fun interview with Scott Drew. Before we get to it, uh, I think there was two big stories that came out of college basketball this week. And keep in mind, I always like to do stories. I like to do topics. For example, Seton Hall and Villanova played a great game on Wednesday night. I don't know that it's a great story or a great topic. It was a great game, but what do you say? Two great teams battling down on the wire. Villanova wins at Seton Hall. So the two stories that stuck out to me this week are this. The first, Tennessee going to Rupp Arena and getting an 81-73 win over Kentucky. Very important result, I think, for both programs as Tennessee uh, is still battling on the bubble And of course, I think it really projects well to next season. And of course, for Kentucky, you look at it from their perspective and you say, okay, is this a sign of some problems going forward? There was the dust up between John Calipari and Ashton Hagens that I'll get into a little bit. And does this have any bearing on the season ahead? The other big story, which I feel like didn't get as much attention as I thought, is that Memphis has officially uh, started the process with the NCAA of basically battling out this James Wiseman case, right? We know about the James Wiseman deal, but now it is time to pay, uh, what's they say, pay the piper, whatever. 
it's time for Memphis to pay up as they will begin the investigation process with the NCA. But there's a little twist to it that I want to get into. So great show today. And again, highlighted at the end by Scott Drew, Baylor Bears head coach. It's going to be really fun. I should mention, by the way, as well, on Sunday, I will have another great interview. Great interview. Um, Danny Tarkanian, okay? So Danny Tarkanian is the son of Jerry Tarkanian, um, and he has a new book out really about the Tarkanian years at UNLV, some of the facts about his dad, some of the myths about his dad. It's actually a really good read, and Danny Tarkanian will join me. We will talk about those early 90s, late 80s UNLV running Rebels, which were the most interesting team in college basketball. That will be on Sunday's show, but before we get to that, I do want to start by saying this. If you're not subscribed to the Aratora Sports Podcast, please make sure to subscribe now. There is no better time than the present to do that. Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to download this show. You can also do it on any of the other platforms, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts, you already know. The AT Podcast is available. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Please give us a quick five stars. Let us know what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. And I got to give a shout out to my boy here. I got an all-time review thanks to my buddy uh, Shane Stryker. So this is what Shane Stryker wrote. He goes, I began following the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast this fall for football season, and while I enjoyed his coverage on the sport, I was completely blown away by what I saw come basketball season. See, I've never been a big basketball guy, even though I live in Kentucky, and that's about all we had until Mark Stoops came around. But I'm not exaggerating when I say hoodie AT has made me much more interested in basketball than I used to be. If you don't follow Aaron on Instagram, I highly recommend you do, as hearing where the hood at, or hearing Aaron say, did AT do it again, or did AT do it again, will bring you immense amounts of joy. I can't even bet. I'm an 18-year-old high schooler with no full-time job, but I still enjoy the zaniness and the fun that Aaron is delivering in his daily picks. He has been so influential in my group of friends, specifically that we now use, did AT do it again, or did AT do it again? when we make a statement after doing something special. So thank you, Hoodie AT, for your impeccable sports coverage and wonderful Instagram videos. Shane Stryker. Shane Stryker, you're the man. That was my favorite uh, uh, post ever about this show. So if you're not following on Instagram, make sure, as Shane Stryker said, make sure you're following on Instagram. Shane uh, send me a DM, send me something. I want to get you a free copy of my book, uh, One in Fun, because that is maybe the best interview that we've ever gotten. But if you're not subscribed, make sure to do it and leave some great reviews like Shane Stryker. Uh, I appreciate Shane. And as Shane said, also make sure to follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. We had a special guest yesterday on the uh, Aaron Torres podcast feed, but that's neither here nor there. Let's get into today's show. And I do think the story, like I said, of the past couple days is Tennessee and Kentucky. The two teams played at Rupp on Tuesday night. And listen, I do think there was a scenario where you could see this game being close. As a matter of fact, as Shane Stryker said, I do my picks every single day on the Instagram feed. 
And I actually thought Tennessee would keep this thing close because if you've followed Tennessee this year, you know that they've basically played everybody really close, especially on the road, but they just can't close out. They had Auburn, they were up by 17 points at Auburn and weren't able to close out the win. They had South Carolina beat and couldn't close out the win. And so I think when you factor that in with the fact that Kentucky um, had just won the SEC championship, had beaten Auburn to win that regular season title. Like, I thought there was a scenario where this game was close, but I didn't think Tennessee would actually pull off the upset. But it happened. Tennessee gets the mega win. I think they're sort of back on the bubble. And for, te- for Kentucky, it raises a lot of questions. So let's get into both programs right now. And I do actually want to start with Tennessee because I don't think people realize just what... Rick Barnes has done this season at the University of Tennessee because, you know, listen, I and I get how college basketball works, right? We're all looking for those teams that we're going to plug into our bracket and we're going to figure out, okay, this team's going to go to the Final Four, this team's a Sweet 16 team. And so when you have a team like Tennessee, unless you're a diehard Vols fan, once it becomes clear that they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament, you kind of stop paying attention to them. But I think what Rick Barnes has done this season As good as it was last year when they made the Sweet 16, as good as it was the year before when they won the SEC regular season title, I think you can argue that this is as good of a coaching job as Rick Barnes has done at the University of Tennessee. For people who don't know, first of all, we know the narrative, right? They lost Grant Williams, they lose Admiral Schofield, they lose Jordan Bone off last year's team. A historic team, a historic group of kids, but coming into this year, they still thought they had Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden back from last year's team. Just one problem. Lamonte Turner very early in the season is not playing like himself. It becomes clear uh, that he is injured in some capacity. And then right at the end of the out-of-conference portion of the, of the season, they announced that Lamonte Turner is going to sit out the rest of the season, essentially ending his college career because of a shoulder injury. And he needs shoulder surgery. And I don't think you can put in perspective how hard it is to lose your best player Two months into the season, fifth-year senior, point guard, does it all, everything runs through him. And I think even last year when Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield on the team, there were games where Lamonte Turner was the best player on that court. Lamonte Turner was maybe their most consistent player in March in the SEC tournament and then the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 run. And so to lose him was bad enough. But then there's all the other stuff too. I don't think people realize. First of all, Santiago Viscovi, the point guard, came from Uruguay in the middle of the season. So for people who don't follow Tennessee day-to-day, you lose a fifth-year senior at point guard in December. And guess what? You bring in a freshman, and you immediately have to insert him into the starting lineup because of the fact that you just lost a fifth-year senior. So you go from fifth-year senior who's been with your program forever, one of the first recruits that Rick Barnes ever signed when he got to Tennessee, to a true freshman who is not only new to Tennessee, but new to the United States. And he didn't come in the fall. He didn't come in June and practice with the team. He showed up in December and had to be pushed into the starting lineup. Oh, by the way, there's a big man on that roster named Euros, I don't even want to try to attempt to say his last name, who the Tennessee people behind the scenes, and I've talked to people about this, the Tennessee people behind the scenes were adamant that they thought he would for sure be eligible this season after transferring from Arizona State. There was some paperwork, and I'm not going to get into everything, but I only bring it up because... They thought he was going to get eligible. Then he doesn't get a waiver. He's ruled ineligible. And then in like January, the NCAA decides, you know what? Eh, 
we kind of like this waiver thing. We're going to give him a waiver. He's going to be able to play right now in January. And so think about that roster. Fifth-year senior at point guard. This is after losing, by the way, the best class in the history of the program. Fifth-year senior at point guard goes down with injury. He's out. You're in trouble. Okay, that's bad. Then, to replace him, you bring in a true freshman, new to the United States, new to college basketball, new to Knoxville, never played in the States, and you plug him into the starting lineup right away, and he's actually playing pretty well. And then, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, let's just shake up the front court rotation by adding a seven-footer in the middle of January as well. And so, despite all of that, Rick Barnes still has this team at 17-13 and 13 overall going into their regular season finale against Auburn at home on Saturday. And listen, I still think that they are on the they're on the wrong side of the bubble. I don't even know that they're technically on the bubble right now. 17 and 13 doesn't really feel like a bubble team to me even with the win at Kentucky, even with a win at Alabama, which in the computers is a good win. But I will tell you this. They beat Auburn on Saturday, they'll go to 18 and 13. You win a game or two in Nashville at the SEC tournament, you can at least make the conversation interesting. I still think Tennessee has a ton of work to do. They have to beat Auburn this weekend to make even uh, to be even be in consideration. They'd still probably have to win two games at the SEC tournament to be a real bubble contender. But in this world of the quad one, the quad system, quad one wins, Tennessee checks a lot of boxes. They challenged themselves out of conference. They beat some good teams out of conference on neutral courts. Washington, I know they've completely tanked, but Washington was a good win at the time. VCU, another team that's kind of tanked, was a good win at the time. They played Florida State. They played Cincinnati. They played Wisconsin. They played really good teams out of conference. And so I do think if Tennessee, first of all, has to beat Auburn on Saturday, and then if they can win a game or two in the NCAA tur- or in the SEC tournament, I think they're an interesting bubble team. But I would add this. That's not the story to me. What the story to me about Tennessee is actually this. Whether they make the NCAA tournament or not, and I would still put it at like 20% that they're in and 80% that they're not. You know what the bigger story to me is? I think this is a team that is super prime for a huge season in 2020, 2021. So basically, yeah, this season didn't go as planned, but have you looked at what Tennessee could potentially be bringing back in 2020, 2021? John Fulkerson, the guy who dominated Kentucky, and by the way, I don't have an answer of how this guy got so good. I mean, if Rick Barnes ever goes into the Basketball Hall of Fame, and I think he's probably closer to a Hall of Famer than a lot of people realize, um, they should just play a highlight tape of John Fulkerson to, to basically explain why Rick Barnes is in the Hall of Fame. Because this is not a guy that should be averaging uh, 14 points a game in a conference like the SEC. This is not a guy that should go to Rupp Arena and drop 27 points with 8 rebounds on maybe the best center in college basketball, Nick Richards. And I do think maybe that does speak a little bit about the disappointing effort from Kentucky, but I don't want to take away from John Fulkerson. But John Fulkerson is back. Eve Pons, who I think could play in the NBA. I think if he has the athleticism, the size, the length, if he can if he can develop a consistent jump shot, I think Eve Pons might be an NBA player. He should be back. Santiago Viscovi should be back, the point guard who just showed up in December. Give him an offseason. 
See what he looks like. Euros, I just mentioned. They have another transfer sitting out named Victor Bailey who started his career at Oregon. And then, oh, by the way, don't know if you know this, Tennessee has the number five recruiting class in the country. They have the best recruiting class in the history of the school coming in. McDonald's All-American Jaden uh, Springer, Corey Walker, five-star recruit, um, Keon Johnson, five-star recruit. And you start talking about a team that we are talking about right now. Keep in mind, 17 and 13 may be a chance to find their way onto the NCAA bubble. Then they bring back everybody that the, that's playing right down for them except for Jordan Bowden, add the number one recruiting class in the country. I think we could be talking about the SEC favorite coming into 2020-2021. Now look, Kentucky's going to have dudes. We'll see who comes back for Kentucky. I think most of Kentucky's veterans are all going to leave. I think Tyrese Maxey's going to leave. We'll see what happens at Florida. Potentially, Arkansas could be really good if they can get both Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe back. But I do think that Tennessee is primed for a monster season in 2020-2021, but it doesn't take away from what Rick Barnes has already done with this group. Uh, I think it's an incredible effort. I think it's an incredible job by him, and I frankly think it's an incredible story. Um, that he has this team playing as well as they do, given everything that they've had to overcome. All right, let's talk about the Kentucky perspective of things. And listen, it wasn't pretty. It was maybe the worst effort since the, the second half of the South Carolina game. And the big thing was there were a lot of questions that came out of that game after, right? Like if it was just you lose the game, okay, I think most fans can live with it. But then... There was the big thing that came out on Tuesday night. For people who aren't diehard Kentucky fans, there was a very interesting story that came out that Ashton Hagens got into a shouting match with John Calipari, that John Calipari tried to put him back in the game. Ashton Hagens basically refused. John Calipari said, if you don't want to be here, go in the locker room or get back in the game. And so it, it was a very touchy subject, a very tough night for Kentucky, which has faced a lot of adversity but has been able to overcome it throughout the season, not so much so on Tuesday night against Tennessee. Now, what I will say is this. Listen, I'll be the first to admit there are better people to talk about the specific Ashton Hagen's John Calipari situation than me. I know the story kind of broke on Matt Jones' radio show. A lot of people are talking about it. There are better people to give you the details, the super insightful stuff than I am. There were people at Rupp Arena that cover this team that have better insight than I do. What I would tell you also, though, is this. I've been covering college basketball for a long time, and what I think you need to remember is that this is a sport where we are now starting practice in June, okay? So kids, kids basically get May off, they go to summer school, and in June, practice starts. Now, it's not every day, but it's two or three days a week, uh, pretty much throughout the summer, then they get a few weeks off at the end of the summer, then they come back for the fall, and practice begins. And so by the time you get to March... We're talking about teams that have been together basically almost every day with about a week or two off here and there for nine straight months. And so I will say in defense of Ashton Hagens and John Calipari, this stuff happens all the time. Now, sometimes it's not as public. Sometimes it's not as, at, it's not at as big of a university as the University of Kentucky, which is the biggest program with the most media coverage in college basketball. So, of course, this story is going to be extrapolated. But just as an example, like a few weeks ago, Mason Jones over at Arkansas got into a shouting match with, John, uh, with uh, Eric Musselman, the head coach at Arkansas. Doesn't mean they hate each other. Just means that, like, look, 
when you got a bunch of alpha personalities and you got to be an alpha to play at Kentucky, you got to be an alpha to play in the SEC, you got to be an alpha to play in the Big Ten, like, you're going to butt heads. And especially with the way some of these guys coach, the way that John Calipari yells, the way John Calipari screams, the way that Tom Izzo yells, the way that Eric Musselman gets in your face. And so to me, it doesn't feel like a big deal to me because this stuff happens all the time. Sometimes it just doesn't happen in front of the cameras like it did with Ashton Hagens. We will see, though, because this was a big result for Kentucky, and we will see if it has an impact on them as they get set to finish the season at Florida. And while I don't think the Ashton Hagens situation is a big deal, I do think that Kentucky, this was the wrong kind of step in the right direction, and it does bring back a lot of the stuff that we have talked about with Kentucky throughout the season. One, they play down to their competition. Two, they aren't talented enough. This isn't Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis or Michael Kidd Gilchrist. They don't have the talent to simply show up and overwhelm teams. These are the things we've been talking about since the Evansville game. And I know John Calabria doesn't want to talk about Evansville, but we got to talk about Evansville. It's the worst loss that anybody has in college basketball this year. And while guys were out and guys were sick and guys were injured, it is still, in fact, on Kentucky's resume and to me, reflects the fact that this team doesn't always close out big games against good teams. And oh, by the way, I've talked about that on this show all year. I remember having Nick Coffey on this show a few weeks ago after the Ole Miss game, and I said, I'm kind of tired of watching Kentucky come out completely flat against certain teams. Didn't play well in both the Vanderbilt games. Didn't play well in the Ole Miss game. Probably easily could have lost that Ole Miss game. They had stretches where they struggled against Texas A&M, even though they ended up winning that game. Had a big lead against Florida, gave it away, ended up winning that game. And so I do think that, I'll be honest, I think Kentucky was kind of due for one of these results because they have these big stretches where it feels like they feel like they can just do whatever they have to do and they'll figure out a way to win because we're Kentucky and our uniform says Kentucky on the front of it and these teams aren't scared of them. And so I do think for Kentucky, this was something that you could see coming because again, there have been so many instances over the course of this season where they had a chance to either jump on a team early or put a team away late, and they just haven't done it. They actually talked about it on the broadcast, by the way, about the fact that their margin of victory isn't as big as you would think it would be for a team that clinches a regular season conference title with two weeks to go. And so for the big picture, Kentucky, am I really, 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 really concerned? Not really. I do think there were some small picture things that I would worry about. The Ashton Hagens thing I just referenced. Nick Richards seemed to disappear, kind of hearkening back to early this season, last season, when he would just, you know, you'd be see flashes, but he wasn't there. I thought it was really weird, by the way, that they just didn't get the ball to Emmanuel quickly late in that game. And I understand that Emmanuel quickly did not have the best night himself. But I would also say that despite Emmanuel quickly not having the best night, he still has been the most clutch player in college basketball. And so it was kind of strange to me that down the stretch, they weren't even looking for him. And so I think that those are the concerns. I also will say this, though. I do think it could be a blessing in disguise losing this game. And I understand you want to win every game. I understand you don't want to lose on a night like that. It's senior night. It's, you know, you're honoring Nate Sestina. It's your last home game. It's your last chance for, let's be honest, a lot of these players, it's their last game at Rupp Arena as a lot of them are going to pursue the NBA after this season. I do think it can be a blessing in disguise, though, because I do think that, like I said a minute ago, I do think that 
really, this was a team that I think they were starting to believe the hype a little too much. And it's no disrespect. Listen, you win a million games in a row, you're allowed to get excited. But like I said, you really look at this thing now, they hadn't really tasted real defeat since about the second week in January when they played at South Carolina. Now, I know they lost at Auburn, but let's not forget, that Auburn game was a weird, fluky thing. Auburn took 20 more free throws than Kentucky. I think they took 44 free throws in the game. That wasn't a game where Kentucky came out of it saying, like, we really lost. It was more like the refs were kind of terrible, and, you know, maybe uh, we could have done some things different. But, like, we played well. The refs took it away from us. So it's been a while since Kentucky has really tasted that defeat. And then, like I said... They've had stretches where they're flat or they're uninterested or they let a team come back uh, from a big, big lead to come back and, and, and potentially win a game. And they've been able to win all those games, the Florida game, the Texas A&M game, the Ole Miss game, Vanderbilt, both Vanderbilt games. So I do think this could be a blessing in disguise. Maybe now they will refocus. Maybe now they will get focused. And maybe now they will take it out on Florida and in the SEC tournament. We'll find out. Obviously, look, they return to, to, re, they return to the court on Saturday. But I think the biggest issue is maybe this was a good thing. Maybe they needed to be defeated. Maybe they needed to face a little bit of adversity. And we will see how they respond. All right, last little topic I want to get to before I do get to Scott Drew at Baylor is the Memphis Tigers. And so really kind of crazy story from Saturday or from Thursday Wednesday afternoon I guess and I feel like it didn't get as much attention as I was expecting it to. Now I'll also say this. I think it's a very confusing story. It's even a confusing story for me and I cover this stuff for a living. So I want to do my best to kind of explain it to you. So basically the long and the short of it is this, is that the official investigation into Memphis basketball has begun pertaining to Penny Hardaway, pertaining to James Wiseman, and the story that we have covered on this podcast and anybody who cares about college basketball has covered uh, for really the last four or five months. We know the deal by now. Penny Hardaway recruits James Wiseman. Penny Hardaway gives $11,000 to James Wiseman's family to help them move from Nashville to Memphis to play for Penny Hardaway at the high school level. Now, this was before he got to be the Memphis head coach. When he was a high school coach, Penny Hardaway gives the family money, brings them to Memphis. That in and of itself is not technically an NCAA violation, I don't think. Where the issue comes in, however, is that Penny Hardaway is a booster of the university, and Penny Hardaway eventually accepts the Memphis head coaching job. And as a booster, he is not allowed to give money to a Memphis basketball player or a Memphis athlete or a Memphis tennis player, whatever. He can't do it. And so it wasn't so much that he gave Memphis, that he gave James Wiseman money as that he gave James Wiseman money uh, and that he then became the Memphis head basketball coach, but that Memphis that he had also donated to Memphis, which makes him a booster against the NCAA rules. And so we all know how it all played out, right? And I'll give myself credit for this because while everybody else in the national media thought, oh, it's so cool that he's going to be you know, battling uh, the NCAA, I always thought it was a bad decision to do what Memphis did, which was, as you remember, uh, rather than Memphis going through the standard protocol, which is to sit the player, this, it's up to the school to sit the player, rather than sitting him, Memphis said, no, nah, you know what, we're going to play him, we don't really care, we don't really care about this NCAA investigation, we're going to play him, we don't care, this is going to be a historic season, we're just going to play him. 
Well, of course, we all know what happens. Then three games in, James Wiseman himself decides, I don't want to be part of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit out. I'm going to take whatever suspension is given to me. The NCAA, I didn't like this, but gave him, I believe, a 13-game suspension as punishment. It's the standard 12 games for uh, taking money from a booster plus a 13th game, which punished him for playing in games that he shouldn't have. Again, Memphis should have just sat him from the beginning. He would have missed some time. He would have had to pay back the money, and he would have been eligible to play. Instead, they decide to play him. It pushed back the process. James Wiseman eventually just decides, you know what? I don't really want to play college basketball. Leaves, and now Memphis is in this situation. And so as this process has played out, you knew eventually the NCAA was going to get involved, and that's exactly what they did on Wednesday afternoon when they announced that the official investigation has begun. Now, here is where it gets really interesting. This is a new process that Memphis is going to undertake. And what I mean by that is this. We all remember the FBI investigation into college basketball, blah, 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 blah. Coaches arrested, you know, Arizona's in trouble, wiretaps, Louisville, Rick Pitino gets fired, etc., right? We also remember that as part of that, there was a commission put together by Condoleezza Rice, you know, with Condoleezza Rice heading it, and they made changes to college basketball. Well, one of the changes, there's been many, but one of them was very simply this. When it comes to investigations, there is a new way that the NCA can go about investigating schools. And so the way that a normal NCA investigation works is very simply this. The NCA sends people from the NCAA office to your campus, they interview everybody, they sit down with the coaches, they sit down with the players, did you do this, did you not do that, Uh, I need to see your bank statements, we don't believe this, we don't believe that, whatever. Then they put together a little report, they send it to the school, the school has a chance to respond to the report, and eventually you come to a conclusion that the school either broke the rules, the school didn't break the rules, whatever, and the punishment goes down. Ironically, by the way, I should mention, I talk a lot about this with Jerry Tarkanian's son, Danny Tarkanian, on next episode. Neither here nor there, but that's a little bit of a preview as Jerry Tarkanian battled with the NCA for 30 years. So that's how the process normally works. The NCA sends its own employees to your campus, interviews your people, they come up with a report, etc., etc. The new, there is a second process that has been created thanks to this Condoleezza Rice Commission. It has never been implicated before, though. It's never been used before, but this will be the first time. And this is how that process works. Rather than the NCAA sending its own investigators, when there are very hostile uh, situations between a school and the NCAA, the NCAA can send an independent counsel. What I mean by that is it's lawyers and judges and people that work outside of the NCAA, that don't work in that office in Indianapolis. They go and do the investigation. And so for the school, there is the benefit of there's more transparency. These people do not work for the NCAA. They don't have to abide by, you know, they, I don't want to say they don't have to abide by NCAA rules, but it's an outside perspective. It's a fresh perspective. And this process has never been used before. This is what's fascinating about it. This new independent council has never been used before. But because of the way that Memphis publicly battled the NCA, they said, okay, this is the time that we're going to put this into place. We don't want to send our own investigators. Memphis, you know, doesn't trust us. We don't really trust them. So we're going to get this independent council involved. So the the interesting thing is that one, this process has never been used before. But here's the other thing. 
there is no appeals process in this whole situation, right? So the way, let me, let me even try to explain it further because I, I'm telling you, it was confusing for me to read about, so I can only imagine how confusing it must be for everybody else. But my understanding is very simply this. So let's take Kansas, for example. Again, Kansas is being investigated by the NCA. So the NCA came to Kansas, they interviewed a bunch of people, they looked through court, you know, whatever documents they can get a hold of, and they put the NCA puts together a report and they gave it to Kansas. That's what happened at the beginning of this season. They handed the report to Kansas. Kansas has a couple months to look it over and appeal what they don't believe is accurate in that report. Okay? Hope that makes sense. Here's the issue with this Memphis process. So this Memphis process is different. It's done by an independent council that doesn't work for the NCA. Here's the problem. There is no appeals process. Whatever this independent council decides is final. The NCAA can't change it. The Memphis University can't change it. Memphis can't appeal it. And if Memphis disagrees with their findings, there's nothing they can do. And so what makes this especially interesting is this. Because it's the first time that this process has ever been used, nobody knows what to expect. Okay? So just think about it. Is that, you know, what Kansas is going through, what Louisville will eventually go through, what Arizona will eventually go through, though that process has gone on for 100 years. And you kind of know, okay, we're probably not going to be able to get away with this, but we can appeal it. We know what we're going to get. The Memphis situation, nobody knows what to expect. Now, on the one hand, it could work out very nicely for Memphis because the bottom line remains that um, this process has never been done before, but these people don't work for the NCA. They may look at the whole process as ridiculous and say, like, there's no way that we Penny Hardaway could have known when he gave money to James Wiseman that he was going to be the Memphis head coach. There was no way that the Wiseman family could have known that Penny Hardaway was going to be the head coach. This is ridiculous. Memphis isn't in trouble. That could happen. But the opposite could happen too, which is, oh yeah, no, they definitely broke NCAA rules and they're in big trouble. And so this is the risk that Memphis is taking. This is the risk that Memphis was taking the whole time by playing James Wiseman. But this is now the risk because we just don't know what to expect out of this process. So it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch out. And I don't think we can really project what's going to happen, right? Like with Kansas we can kind of project, okay? The NCAA is going to do something. They're going to punish them in some way, and then eventually everybody's going to move on. Ultimately, let's be honest, it's probably not going to be enough to cost Bill Self his job. He can probably stay there as long as he wants, but with Memphis, it is a completely different deal. All right, I think I've talked enough here, and it is time to get to my interview with Scott Drew. Before I do, really quick, I, I do want to thank Coach Drew for doing this, and I don't normally thank guests because, listen, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I think that I'm helping a lot of people get exposure. And so like, it's a symbiotic relationship. But what I will say about Coach Drew is very simply this, is that, um, you know, this time of year in college basketball, as I said a minute ago, practice starts in June. And so these guys have been basically going at it um, for nine months now. And in the case of Baylor, they took a summer tour of Europe. And so by the time you get to March in college basketball, you just want to kind of get the season over with, right? The players are tired. The coaches are tired. Um, you've been doing this for nine months. You just kind of want to know, where am I going? What is my bracket? Who am I going to have to play? How far am I going to have to travel? You don't want to be taking on extra stuff in March. And so for Scott Drew to come on this show, to make time, 
I cannot thank him enough, and I can't thank the staff at Baylor enough, David Kay, the sports information director, for coordinating all this. Because look, I understand that it helps them and it serves a purpose for them to come on this show, gives them a little bit of additional exposure. But at the end of the day, anyone who is willing to do extra this time of year, I am genuinely appreciative of. So I appreciate Scott Drew. The interview is coming up. Before I get to Scott Drew, I just want to say very quickly, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure you do that. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app if you have an Android. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to shows, make sure you are subscribed and downloading the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Like I said, my guy Shane Schuyler, I appreciate that very nice uh, very nice Instagram uh, uh, comment. Leave a nice five-star review like Shane Schuyler. But again, I truly appreciate everybody who takes the time to do that. Make sure to rate and review the show. Follow on Instagram. Did AT do it again or did AT do it again? Fun show. I'll be back Sunday. We'll be previewing Conference Championship Week. Danny Tarkanian, Jerry Tarkanian's son will be there. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. And here is... Baylor head coach, Scott Drew. All right, and joining me on the phone now, very special guest, very, very, very excited to have this man on the phone. He is the head coach of the fourth-ranked team in all of college basketball, getting set to finish their regular season on Saturday at West Virginia. Scott Drew is on the phone. Coach, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. It's uh, 70 degrees, sunshine in Waco, Texas, so it's a great day to be alive. <laughs> well, listen, it's been sunshine basically. I don't know why my voice just cracked there, but neither here nor there. Uh, I was going to say, it's been sunshine since like November 11th in that place. I mean, it is unbelievable to watch this team, and I, and I will drop a little humble brag here. I was the only person, as best I can tell, uh, in the media to pick Baylor to make the Final Four in the preseason, but 26-3, um, 24-game win streak. It really basically has been all sunshine and rainbows in Waco over the past you know, four or five months. I mean, I know that you thought this team would be good. You and I did briefly talk over the summer, and I think you thought this team would be good. Did you have any idea... 26 and 3, uh, 24 game winning streak, no loss from whatever it was, November 8th to, you know, February 28th or whatever it was. Could you have ever imagined anything like this? Well, I knew we would be good, but uh, you, you never, you never uh, um, really think you're going to uh, win every game because that hadn't been done in a long time. And as far as uh, uh, the old streak in the Big 12 was 22 games and uh, the reason uh, uh, no one has come close to that in recent history is because the last six years the Big 12 has been the number one ranked conference in the country. So because of the parity, you're not winning uh, 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 those kind of games in a row. And normally the winner of the Big 12 has four or five losses. So um, at the beginning of the year, uh, I never thought about streaks or things like that. And the fact that we've been ranked number one uh, longer than anyone since Kentucky in 2014, 2015, wow. And there's been a lot of great teams since then. Uh, that that just shows to, uh, how consistent this group has been. Now, you and I talked, and we thought that the, uh, we definitely had potential. Uh, I I do want to make you sound smart and be smart <laughs> at the end of the year with that Final Four pick. But uh, as you know, that's what makes college basketball so exciting. You never know who's going to win. Uh, each night there's upsets, and when you're dealing with 18- to 22-year-olds, 
the the least thing you normally get is consistency, in, uh, especially over uh, several months of conference games. So the fact that our guys have been able to do that uh, really bodes to uh, what kind of togetherness they have, what kind of team leadership they have, and uh, the players really deserve all the credit for, for all their effort and hard work. Yeah, and that's been the one thing as I watch you guys that I've been so impressed. And obviously, look, maybe I was a little bit higher than most, but certainly, listen, I can't take credit for thinking you guys are going to win 24 games, all that stuff. Um, but but what has been so impressive to me is in this season where some of the quote-unquote elite programs have not been as good as they normally are mm-hmm. is that, you know, we've seen um, – you know, Kentucky lose to Evansville and Duke lose to Stephen F. Austin. And then there are just the normal losses that happen, as you said, in conference play. You go on the road. It's a tough environment. What's been so impressive to me about your team, Coach, is, you know, all those games in the end of January, the beginning of February, where a team just goes on the road and doesn't have their best effort. And your guys always seem to be ready to go, to be locked in. Not every game is perfect, but it just feels like, and I know TCU the other day was a tough one and you guys have been a little bit banged up, but what I've been so impressed with, have you ever been around a group that, you know, on a Tuesday night, uh, you know, against a conference opponent, when you know they're bringing their best shot, it just feels like this team is always locked in every single night? Well, I think, I think, uh, um, First and foremost, our, our players. We have a uh, that blue collar mentality. That uh, uh, lunch pail every day, show up, work hard, guys, and and that translates because at the end of the day, you are going to be banged up in conference play, and there's going to be nights where you're not uh, making shots. But uh, if the effort and the defense is there, as it gives you a, a chance to be successful, and I think uh, we have everyday guys and. Uh, um, that's harder and harder to find each and uh, every day as the uh, uh, recruiting cycle goes on from the standpoint. Uh, there is a lot of parity and a lot of times that mental uh, strength and toughness is really a, a, a deciding factor. And uh, again, we've we, we got a lot of guys that put in a lot of time. They're really uh, invested in um, bringing their 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 top effort, their A game every every night. It doesn't guarantee a win. Um, doesn't guarantee they're going to make every shot. But if they're playing hard and competing and uh, they like playing with one another, it definitely gives you a better chance to be successful. And, um, and defensively, uh, uh, I know we've been very consistent for most of the year. Second half against TCU, they really got hot. We didn't have an answer. But other than that, really proud of their effort. Our staff has done a great job in uh, really helping this group. So uh, as a head coach, the great thing is if you have a really good staff, you have really good players um you get to go along for the ride you get to enjoy it and that's what I've been able to do this year going along for the ride I mean at what point and again you know even when you and I spoke in the summer I think you were excited about this group but at what point did you realize okay we have a chance to be really good was there a moment was there a game or was it or like you said have you just been along for the ride the whole time well I think I think uh uh, going to Italy on a foreign tour uh, we were able to, one thing that really struck me is whenever you're on a foreign tour, there's a lot of travel and, uh, some of it's, uh, inconvenient and, uh, never at any time did anyone complain during that trip. And wow. that was, uh, that was a first for me from the standpoint, uh, normally, uh, 
you got you got guys that man, this is early, this is a long bus ride, this or that, and we didn't have any of that. The guys really got along, and uh, whenever you have great chemistry, uh, you have really good guys, but then you have that mental toughness where they're not going to be phased by uh, um, travel delays, wear and tear, and stuff like that. You know, you could have a special group, and then obviously when we began the season, and you beat uh, uh, Villanova to win uh, the Myrtle Beach uh, uh, Invitational, and then you turn around and you beat Arizona, you beat Butler, and you're like, well, we got a chance to be pretty good and then just picked up momentum from there. You mentioned your guys, and for people who don't follow this stuff day in and day out, first of all, I think the ESPN broadcasts have done a great job of kind of telling the stories of your guys. But, you know, your, your second leading scorer, Macy Oteague, started his career at UNC Asheville. Uh, you know, Freddie Gillespie, his story has been told time and time again, but he started at a D3 school, uh, transferred in. I don't even think he played at the D3 school. I could be mistaken on that, like nine minutes or something like that. How do you yeah, – six, 16 minutes for the whole season. Oh, okay. That's that's a, that's that's a, that's as good a story as you'll ever hear. A guy that played uh, 16 minutes his first year in uh, uh, Division Three basketball and then now will have a chance to uh, hopefully uh, uh, go to a Final Four and hopefully uh, be drafted. I was going to say, how do you describe the guys that you have in, their, in your program? Because you have had the McDonald's All-Americans, the Perry Joneses, mm-hmm. guys like that. Uh, but I, I was looking at some stuff today. Uh, not that recruiting rankings are a be-all, end-all, but no top 50 recruits, I believe, in your program. Guys that have transferred from small schools, from D3 schools. Um, guys that have been in your program. But, but how would you describe the, the, the dudes, the guys that you have in your program right now? I like guys with a chip on the shoulder, um, hard work, blue chip type guys. So guys that uh, haven't been uh, entitled or told they're the best thing since sliced bread, since eighth grade, and um, they just come to work every day and uh, try to get better every day and love to compete. And uh, as you know, it doesn't really matter where you start, it's where you finish. And uh, we got a lot of guys that are uh, doing a great job trying to finish strong. So you mentioned Freddie Gillespie. I mean, what was it? Uh, I know it was an incredible recruiting find mm-hmm. by you guys. I mean, there was obviously something in those 16 minutes that you saw that you said, that guy's a starting center <laughs> in the Big 12. So go ahead. What was it? Well, well, to be honest, most, most coaches, uh, uh, whenever you have a chance to get a 6'10", 7'6", sure. uh, wingspan walk-on, you're like, that's a pretty good walk-on because <laughs> most of your walk-ons are about six foot, as you know. So uh, that was that was uh, 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 the beginning of the process. The second thing, though, was uh, when, when Freddie got here, uh, un- uh, unbelievable work ethic. I, I, I joke, but if you want to send mail to him his, his first year, you'd send it to the practice gym <laughs> because he lived in the practice gym. And uh, I don't know if I've ever coached anyone that's uh, improved as much as he has in as short a period of time as he has. And it's been in the weight room. It's been how he eats. Uh, um, I mean, he does uh, all the all the little things and all the fundamental drills that nobody wants to do. And uh, he, he'd do them over and over and over. I think he could do the mic and drill in his sleep. And uh, because of that, he, he's really uh, uh, improved and been able to be uh, a key player in college basketball this year. And Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague, your second and third leading scorers, they were both sit-outs last year, and I think you told me something similar. They basically lived in the gym as uh, red shirts last year? Yeah, both of them extremely hard-working guys and uh, guys that uh, uh, who just love basketball. They love to compete. and um, I don't know if uh, uh, probably when they're 75 years old they'll be playing one-on-one in the, in the backyards <laughs> together. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you know, where do you think you guys are right now th- at this point in the season? Listen, you're banged up. You did lose a couple games, but listen, I mean, when you lose to the number two or three ranked team in the country, it happens. And as we said with TCU, one, you're banged up. Two, 
uh, it was really the first time you guys had an off night all season. How do you feel about the team right now? We're now, you know, a week till Selection Sunday, about five, six days till you guys ship off to KC for the Big 12 tournament. How do you feel about this group right now? Well, I think right now uh, um, uh, Mark Bidel has been, been battling some tendonitis in his knee, and uh, we need to get him healthy, and uh, Tristan Clark was unable to play last game. We need to get him back. Uh, and then other than that, um, Maceo is still recovering from his uh, wrist injury. So uh, normal wear and tear uh, the Big 12 season, and we got as uh, uh, strong a guys and as athletic a guys and guys that compete as hard as they do night in and night out in the Big 12. You're going to have bumps and bruises, and uh, the key is uh, uh, after the Big 12 tournament, uh, hopefully we can get a couple days and uh, make sure we got everybody uh, as healthy as they can be heading into the NCAA tournament because this year, uh, just like any other year in the NCAA tournament, you never know what's going to happen. It's not the best 4-7 uh, where the best team wins. It's uh, 40 minutes, and um, you better bring it, otherwise you're home. <laughs> Absolutely. How big was that Texas Tech win the other night? Because I was watching it. And, you know, I, I've watched a ton of your guys' games this year. And you mentioned you beat Villanova in the out-of-conference, you beat Arizona, you beat Butler. But last game against Texas Tech, they were desperate for a win. You're down two, three guys, and you have guys that are banged up on the court. And I was sitting there saying, like, watching that game, I thought it was one of your more impressive wins, all things considered. Yeah, I, I thought the guys really competed. Both teams played extremely hard. And, I mean, uh, uh Coach Beard's teams uh, uh, are so good at uh, uh, the motion offense and then defensively uh, uh, outstanding. So you, you really have to play well to, to beat them. And uh, uh, most of the night we're playing uh, four guards, six foot uh, three, six foot four and under. And uh, they did a great job competing and battling. And uh, uh, Matthew Meyer and uh, Flo Thomb off the bench gave us a great lift. And uh, uh, we were able to win on senior night, which every coach uh, – uh, always wants to do because uh, you want to send out the seniors on a high note and make sure their last game uh, in their home arena. In our case, the Farrell Center was a good one, and uh, so pleased we were able to do that for them. Very good. Last couple questions, we'll let you go. The first one, I actually meant to ask you this after we were talking about some of the guys on this team, but, you know, normally it's not something I would ask, but the transfer rule, you know, so we have this, this new rule that may go into place where guys are eligible immediately, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about your program specifically where we just mentioned Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, they both transfer from D1 schools uh, maybe in two, three years down the road. They might not have to sit out. Where do you stand on this? Because it feels like it's been a very important developmental tool for you and your program to have guys sitting out for a year. Well, I think uh, um, uh, first and foremost, every situation is different. Sure. We don't, uh, uh, like if guys would redshirt, uh, it's always their choice. Um, at the end of the day, one thing that is, is nice is when you transfer, uh, um, it, it does give players an opportunity to work on their game for one year where they don't have the pressures of you didn't get enough playing time, you didn't get enough shots, uh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and they really just to get to get to be selfish and for one year work on their body, work on their uh, uh, skill development, work on the understanding of their offense, defense. They play the scout team, which they were in the other teams in conferences, offenses, and it, it's it's really like an internship mm -hmm. and. Uh, um, uh, that's really beneficial for, for people in a lot of areas. And I know we always look at it, and there's 13 scholarship guys. So that means five are playing. That means eight aren't playing. And mm -hmm. no matter how well you treat your team, it's hard to keep eight guys happy that, that, that aren't playing. And, 
Uh, I know that's a big concern for coaches out there because 99% of the people aren't going to the NBA. You want to make sure they graduate. You want to make sure they have a chance to get a master's if they want to do that, uh, if they sit out a year and then within five years. But a lot of people actually give themselves a better chance to play professionally Mm -hmm. because they're usually a better player when they're 22 or 23 than when they're 18. So um, it's it's one of those things where uh, 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 there could be a lot of good in sitting out and working on your game. And at the same time, it allows you to do that without the constant pressure from everybody in your ear, your friends and everyone. Why aren't you playing? Why aren't you doing this? Where you can just, like I said, be selfish and improve for years. So um, that, that's a concern for, for some coaches out there because, uh, as we all know, people mature at a different rate. And no matter what, you're only playing five. So until we can put seven on the court at one time, uh, you have eight <laughs> on the bench, and probably uh, the eight on the bench, um, it's, it's more enjoyable to play than, than to sit. But no matter what, um, there's 353 schools, and all of us are only playing five at one time. Yeah, I uh, I know you, I know there's some things that you know maybe whatever. Like I I personally feel like you know having been around this sport for a long time, I don't feel like for a lot of kids it's the worst thing to sit out because not only are you f- uh, developing physically but mentally, emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, last question, I'll let you go. I mean, at the end of the day, we're recording here March 5th. Uh, for everybody, this thing is going to be over in a month from now. And uh, whether that's in Atlanta at the Final Four, whether it's in the NCAA tournament, whether for some teams it's going to end this week in conference uh, tournament play, what do you hope to get out of the next four or five weeks with this group? Because, I mean, I know it sounds like from dating back to last summer when you guys were over in Europe, it's been a special experience. Like, what are you just hoping to get out of these last couple weeks with these guys outside of the obvious, which is the goal to win the national championship? Well, we'd love to keep everybody healthy, uh, and we like to say control what we can control, and that is play Baylor basketball and play it to our fullest and best. And if we lose, uh, you can handle that, uh, um, but you'd much rather do it when you're when you're at your best. So uh, trying to just control what we can control, and uh, hopefully it's a historic run for us because uh, this team uh, uh, has done a lot of things that uh, uh, have been first in our school program history, and love to send them out on the high note. Fantastic. Scott Drew, the head coach of the Baylor Bears, fourth-ranked team in the country. They're playing at West Virginia this weekend, heading to the Big 12 tournament. My man, I appreciate you doing this. End of the season. Everybody's worn down. You making a few minutes. I, I can't thank you enough, Coach. I really appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks for all you do for college basketball. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.